Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thanos did exactly what he said he was going to do. He wiped out 50% of all living creatures. We lost, all of us. We lost friends, we lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. This is the fight of our lives. This is gonna work, Steve. I know it is. Because I don't know what I'm gonna do if it doesn't. Since its late April opening, Avengers Endgame has been breaking box office records and at press time was chasing Avatar's 2.8 billion as the highest grossing movie of all time. The final installment of Marvel's Avengers saga is a three hour journey filled with complex visual effects created by more than a dozen visual effects houses. Leading the effort was visual effects supervisor Dan DeLu, our guest on today's podcast. I'm Carolyn Jardina, welcome to Behind the Screen. No stranger to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Dan DeLue has been the visual effects supervisor on Iron Man 3, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and most recently Endgame. He was nominated for a visual effects Oscar for Infinity War and Winter Soldier. Also, earlier this year, Infinity War won the top Visual Effects Society Award. Today, he talked with us about the Herculean task of completing Endgame and working in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dan, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Glad Congratulations to be here. on the success of this movie. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an awesome surprise. I mean, not really a surprise, but how much the fans have loved it and, you know, kind of actually going to the theater and seeing the reactions to it has been really, really pleasurable. So, big picture, this represents the work of roughly a dozen visual effects houses. Yeah, a dozen visual effects houses. ILM. ILM, yeah, across the world. So the only way I can really remember it is I kind of start walking across the, you know, the continents and I end up forgetting anyway, some of them, unfortunately, though. but you know, they won't, hopefully won't be mad at me. But yeah, starting in New Zealand with Weta, New Zealand, and then going through Rise in Germany, and then Framestore, DNAG, and Cinesite in London, and Perception in New York, and then Digital Domain in LA, and then CapT in Maui. And then Cantina in L.A., you know, there's some smaller houses that helped out as well. And pretty much 
you said roughly 2,500? 2,500 shots, yeah, which is a little bit less than what we had in Infinity War, but the shots were actually longer, you know, kind of fitting to the supersized three-hour time frame in this one. In short, it represents an enormous amount of work. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the specific work. I'd love to start with the Mm de-aging or um, end-aging, because there's time traveling in this. You see characters at different points. Would you talk about how you approach that? Sure. Well, it was something that, you know, we knew at the end of the film, we'd have Old Cap, you know, which was kind of fun to see and do because, you know, it's something that was from the comics. You know, anytime it's from the comics, it's always a little extra fun. So that was you know, come in a combination of practical makeup. We had put some makeup on his neck that kind of gave us the loose skin from his neck and then tried to do some work around the eyes, but that came off a little bit stiff. But then knowing that the majority of the makeup would be done in visual effects. And so, you know, doing the forehead, the face, the cheeks, and the areas around the eyes. And so the, the trick with that was, you know, we work with Lola, and when you shoot it, you shoot it with Chris Evans, and then you have an older age double, and you have them run the scene, you know, watching Chris running the scene the same way. And so when you have the Chris's performance and then kind of a reference for the older skin, you're able to basically marry, take the texture from the older skin, and then apply it to Chris Evans, you know, with some combination of painting and some CG mixed in to kind of get the, you know, and then, you know, the most important thing is preserving Chris Evans's performance. Yet it's a kind of this interesting slider where if you start incorporating too much of the skin from the older double, then it's not Chris anymore. You know, you start becoming this other person. So you got to kind of find the right spot. And from the kind of the geeky side of it, it was, you know, how old is really Captain America at that point? You know, because when you actually do the math in terms of when he was born versus how long he spent in the ice, how much he'd been alive, how much time he spent going back in time, it put him over 100 years old. And you kind of get to, if you look at a lot of faces, you know, as people get older, it was kind of the vast majority, you know, you start hitting 90, and that's when your face really, really starts breaking down. And so you still wanted Cap to be handsome. And so we kind of took the out that, you know, because he had the super soldier serum, it's like he could, he was going to look good for a 100-year-old man, 90-year-old man, he was going to look really good because he had the, still had the super soldier serum in him. And then, you know, it was just, in a, you know, when we got the cuts, it was just applying the effects to the shots. So for the uninitiated, just to be clear, it's a combination of makeup and visual effects. And the visual effects is both augmenting his existing performance. And were there in some cases, is it a fully CG head? Yeah, what we try to do is you can, there's kind of a couple ways you can go and, and kind of something that Lola's mastered over the years. And we had done something similar to with Peggy in Winter Soldier when we made her older. And it was something that it's related to how vision's done as well. So you can take an approach where you try to do something completely CG and then take your CG model and match it to an actor's performance. But as a result, you can drift into the Uncanny Valley that way, and you find yourself, depending on what you're reproducing, you're trying to match the actor's performance rather than taking the actor's performance. And so what we had done with old Peggy and what we did with Cap and what we do with Vision is you are using the actor's face. It's the equivalent of digital makeup. It's as if you were, if this completely CG way was using a puppet, and... The way we're doing it with Lola is using makeup, except it's just, you know, it's a digital makeup. So, like, all the liver spots, the age lines, all that is basically either either painted in or cloned over from our old age double. And so you're really just applying CG enhancements to what Chris Evans is doing. So you always have his performance underneath what you're doing. So you had Chris Evans, and what other actors did you apply we just, these We just had an actor, someone we cast from L.A., and they came out and just, you know, they would basically just 
reproducing. Basically, you watch what Chris did, and you try to match the mannerisms the best you can and the facial expression the best you can. You get close. You know, it's not exactly on. You'll take pictures of them, scan their faces, you know, get the texture from their face, and then it's a combination of starting with Chris, taking a digital scan of Chris so you kind of have his shape in 3D, and then you're basically projecting onto that model the bold age texture, and then paint fixing that once it's projected on. And in addition to Captain America, what other characters in the movie went through processes like this? Well, we went through with the aging. You know, there was when you go back to New York, back to the time of the first Avengers, we did some work on the Avengers, you know, the big six, so they would match to their counterparts from the last movie. So in this case, you know, it's a lot of times when you do de-aging, you kind of scour the net trying to find reference, but in this case, we'd had reference to sure. the, the very movie we're matching to. So, you know, so to varying degrees, you know, we regressed them, you know, basically 10 years, and it was just smaller things like crow's feet and things like that, where it gets even more involved in something that was kind of just somewhat uncanny in how great it turned out was Hank Pym with Michael Douglas. And so it was another great situation to be in because Michael Douglas's career spans Romancing the Stone. And so there's all these amazing movies. And so you could go in and say, okay, what Michael Douglas do we want? And you say, here's this movie, this movie. And then I was talking to Joe Russo about, it's like, do you want Romancing the Stone, Michael Douglas? Or like the China Syndrome, Michael Douglas? Or like Streets of San Francisco, Michael Douglas? And it's like, Streets of San Francisco. So he went back and he went and found uh, you know, the Streets of San Francisco. And that's the Michael Douglas we matched for when you see him in the lab. This is such a great tool for situations like this where it really affects the storytelling, but this wasn't available as precise as it is today just a few years ago. How has it impacted your work as a whole? Well, I think it's something that with all tools, there's kind of the initial you know, leap of faith that you want to try to use to get something done. You know, the first time out, you're always trying to figure it out and what's the best way to do it. But in this case, you know, the tools have really matured over the last few years. So you're able to really produce something that truly won't take you out of the story in the sense with Cap. And, you know, kind of what we were talking about with Cap, it was like kind of the rules with Cap. And because it is something that's kind of a precise kind of thing where you're trying to matching into it with kind of the method we're using with Lola, there's a nuance to it. So you can talk about, okay, we want Cap to always look handsome. We always want Cap to look kind. We want to, you know, show that he lived a life and have that age in his face. So the tools are at the point now where you can tell that story as you're kind of putting the old age makeup. You know, and it's something that we kind of pulled off our double, but we kept it there. You know, there's a bit of a bruise on his face or some kind of, you know, something that some experience, you know, it was something that at first glance it was kind of like, well, it's, you know, kind of doesn't fit into the truly handsome thing, but it's also... You know, if you let your imagination run, it's like, well, what adventures did Cap have when he was with Peggy? It's like, you know, there's no way Captain America is going to be, he's the selfish one that made the self, you know, somewhat selfish choice at the end to kind of live his life. But there's no way Captain America just sat around not doing anything, you know, for the past 40 years. So, you know, you give a little bit of history to his skin and, you know, the tools now let you do that. Let's move on to Thanos. This character was introduced in the last film and, you know, the work was really well received. Tell us about creating him. Well, with Josh, it was kind of our first kind of pass at trying to really kind of push the envelope of what you could do with a character. And it was an interesting problem to solve in the sense that if Thanos didn't work, the movie didn't work. And that was kind of the way we motivated slash scared ourselves when we started the Infinity War. And so when we kind of really jumped on the, tried to solve, jumped on it to solve the problem. So we started working with Digital Domain and Weta simultaneously for Thanos. And what made that work is we have a great look dev department at Marvel 
and Ryan Minerding sculpted Thanos, and you know, he does a lot of our, you know, some of the most awesome designs we have, Ryan's done. And so, you know, early on we talked about, he kind of came to me, and we kind of looked at what Thanos was in the previous movies, and his expressions were, his face was exaggerated, you know, he's much more of a comic book kind of cartoon character. And Ryan asked, it's like, well, what can we do to make it better for you guys, or how can I help you? I'm like, we'll make it look more like Josh, you know, make it so we can see Josh Brolin and Thanos, because if we get Josh's eyes, then the performance will come through, right? And at that point, you know, it was still looking at the idea that, you know, some of the technology was kind of where it was, you know, the current state of what the technology was. And then going to Weta and Digital Domain, they started working on kind of machine learning to be able to, it was kind of multiple things that came together, actually. It was sort of because we have it at Disney. There's a research group that came up with a system called Medusa, which lets you have multiple cameras capture extremely high-res detail of an actor's face, skin down to the pore level. And so we use that to kind of capture Josh's expressions and his shapes. And then the software itself then could track the dots that you put on an actor's face, kind of the typical thing in motion capture where you'll put dots on an actor's face and the computer can recognize those dots and see how the face moves. But what's happened previously is it's just looked at the dots and said, okay, these dots move this much, and then your digital version, then we're going to move the digital dots the same amount. And based on the amount of dots you have on a face, you just never really get enough detail to really bring a character to life. By incorporating Medusa into that, and then like actually then using machine learning with the computer software, you could train the software to say, okay, these dots transfer to this really high-res version of the face. And then when it got it wrong, you tell it when you got it wrong. And when you got it right, you tell it when it gets right. So the program actually gets smarter as it goes along. And so what happened then is that we were able to, instead of just kind of getting a very loose animation of a face, we were able to get like this incredible amount of detail because it was something that was important because the first time we worked with Josh on the face, you saw how subdued his performance was going to be and the intensity of very small movements in his face. And what that highly high resolution capture allowed us to do was reproduce that in a digital form. And then once you've done that, then you can apply it to the digital version of Thanos. And it's something, you know, we were really worried about it, but we figured out before we started shooting. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, well, this is great. And we've solved the problem as early as we possibly could and then just kind of ran with it from there. Well, it's fantastic work and critical, obviously, to the success of the movie that you have his character correct. Yeah. In addition to the characters, there were tons of environments. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that work. From Infinity War, Endgame, or both? Endgame. Endgame, okay. What, yeah. what were some of the trickier environments? The big environment was the end with the crater, you know, when the Avengers compound gets blown up. It was something that, you know, Joe Russo had pitched in terms of Thanos showing up and immediately, because we would talk about strategy. All our battles for the past four films, it's always been like, you know, what would the villain do and then how would you counter that? So I'm kind of like, well, what would Thanos do? Well, he'd show up and just bomb the bejesus out of him. You know, it's like Thanos isn't going to mess around. So then Joe's like, well, let's basically crater the inventor's compound. He used the stones again. Hey, we'd be going in shorthanded, you know? Look, he's still got the stones, so. So let's get him. Use them to bring everyone back. Just like that? Yeah. Just like that. Even if there's a a small chance that we can undo this, I mean, we owe it to everyone who's not in this room to try. If we do this, how do we know it's going to end any differently than it did before? Because before you didn't have me. Hey, new girl, everybody in this room is about that superhero life. And if you don't mind my asking, where the hell have you been all this time? There are a lot of other planets in the universe. And unfortunately, they didn't have you guys. 
we always try to like anchor ourselves in real life. And so we had one of Sven Gilberg and Martin Larson, who was a couple other visual effects supervisors we had on the team. We got on the net and just started trying to find craters, you know, volcanic craters, craters from meteorites that hit the earth a while ago. And then we basically flew out to those different locations and just started photographing, okay, what do craters look like? How are they formed? You know, then started looking at reference online in terms of bunker buster type bombs and things like that. And just kind of the basis for it. And then based on those pictures and scans, you know, you can go up in a helicopter or a drone, you can basically circle a piece of a building or a mountain or a feature like that. And if you take pictures as you circle the object, you can then basically look at each picture and then bake a three-dimensional version of that onto the computer. So we kind of found our favorite crater and then sent that off to Weta and they started building their environment from that and then texturing it based on references we found. And we looked at the Kuwaiti oil fields when they're on fire and, and things like that to kind of shoot the general look. What was the trickiest sequence for you? You know, it was interesting that these films always have different components to them. It's like you'll have, okay, this is the signature effect, and this is the signature battle. With these movies, there's always multiple battles and multiple (laughs) environments and multiple places we've been in the past. And so with this one, along the lines of the environments, we were able to, you know, when they went back to New York, we work with ILM, and so they've already had New York from the first Avengers. So we would shoot plates in New York with the modern-day plates. You know, there were new buildings under construction that we would then have to take out. But then with ILM, because they already had all those assets, those buildings weren't there. So we could just kind of recreate New York from scratch from what they had already scanned and photographed. You look at Smart Hulk with Mark Ruffalo, that was an interesting challenge, just in the sense that if you got Josh Brolin on one end of the spectrum, where his performance is very inward and very tight and tense. You know, you've got Mark Ruffalo on the other end of the spectrum where his face, he's, he's, you know, everything's on the table, his expression's very bright, and his face is very elastic. So it was solving the most minute movement and then also solving the broadest movement and then still making sure that you read Mark Ruffalo come through the performance. That was, you know, kind of the big challenge at the beginning of this one is making sure Smart Hulk would work. And it's always that moment of, with Thanos, we did a test early on because we had a little bit more of a head start with him. And so we showed Josh and we showed the studio and everybody got very excited really early. And then with Smart Hulk, we got started a little bit later. And we had done a test, a really rough test when all the technology was still pretty rough of Mark just kind of having fun as Smart Hulk and speaking and kind of flipping out. That test became the scene where he sends Scott Lang back in time and he's trying to like, you know, smash the computers and make them work. But it was one of those things where when you preview the movie, you've got previs in there. And so previs, you'll have the mannerisms of a character, but you don't have any of the real animation on the face. So when we did Rented Families, it was always that version of the Hulk that no one could really read. You know, and it was just kind of like, okay, is this scene going to work? The scene's not going to work. And, you know, so then you call up ILM. It's like, look, we really need, wherever you're at in the Hulk, we need the Hulk, you know. Because, you know, based on audience reactions, you just, you know, you're trying to test it and you can't gauge it. But when ILM stuff came in, suddenly it went from a scene that was not funny at all, you know, and you couldn't get any sense of it because the audience didn't understand it, to like you know the funniest scenes in the movie. And you know, to this day, you kind of you go and you watch it and you see it with an audience, and everybody's kind of into it. It's five years later, and then all of a sudden, Smart Hulk shows up, and the whole movie just brightens up on the scene, which is pretty amazing. 
What did the Russos say when they saw Smartalk for the first time? It's interesting. It's with different directors. <laughs> and I think I've got some street cred with the Russos now. And But you always know at the back of everybody's brain, is this going to work, right? Because you start in visual effects. You start something. It's, I always describe it as like there's tinker toys like all over the floor. And directors and the studios, they look at their movie. And there's either these giant holes in there or there's previs in their movie. And then, you know, some panic, you know, and some like, where's my film? But with the Russos, they're like just calm, steely. It's all good. It's all good. And then we show them the first test, and you know it's the ah, oh, it's gonna work. You know, but you can hear the you can hear the relief, and it's like it was always gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they thought it was great. And it was a function too, where it, and kind of what happened with Thanos, and a little bit to a degree happened with Smart Hulk. You know, Thanos a little bit more because he was driving the Infinity War. But you know, it, it got to where Smart Hulk became a character, and it was something that people would latch onto. You know, the script evolved. There's a little bit of a scene with Scott Lang kind of explaining how time travel works and Pym Particles and Brody's there and Paul Rudd's there. And then Hulk's there to kind of explain the past. So you read the scene on the page, and then, you know, they wrote it knowing that Hulk would be the one that was going to explain it. You know, so you read it and you're kind of like, oh my God, it's just kind of just dry time travel. But then you give it to Mark Ruffalo and then suddenly you have this giant Hulk explaining the future's your past and your present's the future. And it's just like that weird thing we talked about time travel. It was always, time travel's this complex thing that if you ever really try to explain it, over too much depth, it just kind of breaks. You know, you kind of, you looked at like the Terminator and it was like, okay, you go through time, nothing metal can go unless it's covered by flesh or something like that. And it's like this eccentric rule. They're like, okay, I get it. And Back to the Future is like 88 miles per hour and kilowatts. And you're like, okay, it makes no sense, but sure, I'll buy it. So suddenly when you have Hulk explaining time travel, you're like, sure, Hulk said it's true, so I buy that. You know, and then it kind of works from there. In addition to the individual challenges within the shots. You also were managing a dozen visual effects houses and you were on a tight schedule. Tell us about your day-to-day. How often did you talk to everyone? How did you receive shots and how did you keep it as one cohesive whole? Yeah, this one was, you know, because we had started, we, we the, the interesting about these films is we shot them together. And so over the three years, a lot of time, you know, it's those things where to get Infinity War done, you know, it took up a lot of the time in terms of the three years. And then, you know, we had and generally, you, you try to get shots turned over as early as you can. So if you like, you're working them on previs, and you can get something that, you know, is an all CG shot, then you get that to the vendors as soon as you can, and then you get more time to work on it. But with this, because you know Infinity War had to get done, we got started with everything a little bit later. So our, our normal schedule was was already compressed, and so it goes into kind of the day to day. Is with the show this size, you know, you want to talk to people as much as you can. But the trick was to work with a lot of vendors that we've worked with before. It's important that when you're, you know, spending your day looking at shots, because, you know, literally you'll show up in the morning, go into the screening room, and just start watching shots. And then on a normal show, you'll be done around noon, you know, 1 o'clock, eat lunch, and then kind of go into, like, any special case shots that you have. And so, like, in dailies, you'll say, okay, give a quick note, give a quick note. That's when it takes, that's take, take longer. And then just, so put it in the afternoon, and we'll give the, the visual effects house a call. In this film, there was no getting done by noon. You know, you're getting done by 4 or 5 o'clock when, you know, the schedule wasn't crazy yet. Uh, but the trick was, you know, working with a lot of great companies that we worked with before, because you could, you already had a shorthand, and you could speak conceptually about the notes. So you're saying, okay, Hulk, you know, he's kind of coming off, 
you know, I need you need a little more empathy in terms of what he's doing right now, and seeing so speak at a much higher level, you know, with some a company like ILM, and the same thing with with Weta, we both worked with on Infinity War, so that got you through the day a little bit faster. And then you know, then about you know five or six, when things started getting crazy, you eat dinner, and then you kind of deal with the the harder shots and try to get through those notes as best you can. And so you're you're kind of managing your day because you've got what is the day ahead of you, and then. England's going to work at night while you're doing it, so you'll you'll bring uh, you'll kind of balance your day based on when they're actually awake <laughs> working, and then when you give them the notes. So, you know, well, I had a Martin Larson was helping me out. Martin Larson was my um, visual effects supervisor that handled the companies that were in England. So, he would take you know generally we'd work with Martin on the last movie as well. So he kind of knew what notes I would give. So he would kind of you know he would kind of work and work on those groups of vendors and shots so and get them to a level. And then I would come back, and then once they were to a level, I'd take a look at them and you know, give any further notes on that. So it was another way to economize your time you know, throughout the day. But by the end, I mean, it's, you know, there's, I think there's experience. I think you know, having done you know, Winter Soldier, then Civil War, then Infinity War, and this, you know, you kinda, your brain starts thinking strategically in terms of how to get shows done you know, and, and what notes to give and the important notes to give. And then, but at a certain point, it just gets into elbow grease. And so, you know, your days just get longer and longer until you're working, you know, 18-hour days by the end of the show, you know, if you're lucky. Yeah. And you, you talked about the compressed schedule, but just to give yes, our yes. listeners an opportunity to understand this. So you were in Atlanta during principal photography, so correct? We were, yeah, we were in Atlanta during principal photography. And that was when? Well, it's, it's crazy. You go back and you look, and I was looking for a male the other day. And it's like, oh, it can't be that bad. And so it showed up from 2016. And I'm kind of like, oh, my, we've been on this movie for a long time. But um, so, you know, we, we started in 2016. And then, uh, you know, we shot the two films together. And we came back from Infinity War August of 2017. And then finished Infinity War. And then we went back for to kind of finish up because we hadn't really finished Endgame yet. So we went back to Atlanta for a little bit. So we kind of kept moving where we started. You know, so we went back, and, and so the movie came out April, May. So we probably went back about June of last year. And then so we, we finally got back about August. And then, but then you're now editing all that footage that you just shot. So really, you know, the bulk of the work was turned over November, December for the big shots that you know, normally we would have gotten in May. And then there was just a little bit of pickup photography in January. And so, you know, that kind of, and, you know, some of it cut pretty deep in terms of complexity, you know, and with this, especially with this final battle, it was, you know, you're, you're in the bottom of this crater, which doesn't exist anywhere. And so we shot, the majority of it was shot on stage. And so you're having to add all that and all of Thanos's, all of Thanos's army are all CG. And, you know, the majority of, of the Avengers allies are all CG as well, you know, in terms of the Asgardians and the and the Ravagers and, and, and characters like that. So, you know, the, you know the, the complexity of this movie, even though there's just the one final battle at the end, it's much more complex than anything we've ever done before. And so just trying to get all that to fit then into the, you know, the majority, honestly, the majority of the work was like December, January, February, March. You're getting a sound lock and you're still not done, exactly done with the animation. So you're trying to back your changes into the sound lock because you can't go back. I mean, we push past pretty much, I think, any deadline you could possibly want to push back. And it's like, it's a nature of visual effects. You always want to try to make it as best you can. And I've always kind of 
played the edge, but I think we went well beyond it this time. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go back. I wouldn't want to do it again like that. <laughs> well, visual effects aside, you've been living with these characters for such a long time now. Do you have a favorite? Who's your favorite Avenger? <laughs> well, Cap, it's always, it's going to be Cap because it's like, well, it's interesting here. You get, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a, a group of us that, you know, kind of, you know, we kind of hop over each other on the films as, as supervisors. And so with Winter Soldier, you know, you inherited Cap from the first Avenger. And so, but it was, you know, he was kind of remade with the Winter, with, with Winter Soldier. And so you, you know, you get the, the characters you, you kind of, you kind of fall in love with because it's your first film. And then with that one, we introduced Winter Soldier and then we introduced Falcon. And so you're, you're always kind of, you know, biased. It's like your kids, I guess, in a way, you know, it's like, what's your favorite kid? And you're not supposed to be have favorites, but you do, you know, so those were always, I think, you know, with the Russos too, I think those were always our favorites. Thor's pretty great. I mean, it, you know, and it's kind of how much fun you can have with them as well in terms of, you know, what they can do as a character. Falcon's always fun because of his aerial dynamics and kind of what he can do. Hulk's a lot of fun, you know, in terms of like, you know, Hulk smashing and, you know, Hulk fighting Thanos. You know, Thanos, it's the weird thing to say, but, you know, probably Thanos is my favorite just, you know, because, he, you know, he's, he's the villain that thought he was the hero. He thought he was the good guy. <laughs> he's, he can kind of like him until the end, until he trades Gamora for the Soul Stone. Then he's pretty much unredeemable at that point. But for some reason, you still like him. If we do this, we'd be going in shorthanded. Yeah, you mean because he killed all our friends? We owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. And you kind of, you know, Chris Evans is great, and Josh Brolin's great, you know, so you kind of tie them to the characters. Like in Endgame, Valkyrie was, um, it was one of those things where we were kind of, we're doing the previs, and, you know, I was leading the charge on the previs with our, our previs team. And so, you know, you go in there and you kind of you plot out the, the ending. I had like a you know a table full of like these little toys of all the different heroes so I can kind of figure out where they are in the battle. And uh, but we're just kind of, you know, just kind of pitching, you know, just kind of throwing ideas around because you've got a room full of previous artists that have also worked in all the all the Marvel movies and, and have animated the characters in other movies you may not have worked on or, or, or done gags for them in other movies. And so this, you know, it's this really kind of dynamic environment that I like to create in there where you can everybody just kind of sits around and pitches ideas. So but I'm there with Gerardo, our previous supervisor. And we're talking about the Pegasus, you know, and we're kind of like about Ragnarok. And it's like, well what can what can Valkyrie do? You know, what are her powers? And it's like, you know, and then we're kinda of like, well the Pegasus and it's like, you know, so but you remember from Ragnarok, it's like did we see anything really? And you go back and look at it, and it was just, you know, it was kind of the fall of the Valkyries, and it's just all these Pegasus falling out of the air. And I'm like, it's like, ah, oh, we do a Pegasus, and George, yeah, we're doing a Pegasus. I'm like, I don't know. And George's like, yeah, we got to do a Pegasus. And I'm like, I don't know if Kevin's going to like a Pegasus. And it's like, we're, and so you come back in, and they've just done this whole gag with a Pegasus, you know, and it's like, eh, Pegasus is pretty cool, <laughs> you know. So it's like, you know, moments like that where you're just kind of, you know, you get to sit in a room and just kind of, you know, play with your favorite superheroes and come up with all the different gags for them and fun things. And, and what were Chris Evans and Josh Brolin and the actors like to work with when you were doing complex effect shots with them? Well, it's interesting, you know, Chris is, Chris has always been great and always, you know, knows exactly where the shield is. You know, even when he's, the shield's imaginary, he knows exactly where it is, you know, and, and it has it really down. And, you know, I mean, they're all pretty, you know, they're all really great, actually. It was, um, Robert's great. And so it's like, you know, we had a meeting on Infinity War and we had kind of planned out Titan and kind of what the battle would be. 
And, you know, it was just, you know, it was definitely superhero fanboy type stuff we were having him do with the bleeding edge armor and fighting Thanos and you know there's like a 40 minute version of the fight I think with Iron Man and Thanos just wailing on each other but then Robert comes in and so we're talking you know we we show him the armor and you know he's got this history with the character that you know you know this in-depth knowledge of the character and but then also a sense for the sense for the, the drama of it as well and so we showed it to him, and he's like, you know, he's and he's got one of the stunt guys with him there, and, and kind of his his folks with him there, and sits down and watches it, and says, okay, well, then you know, can we try this? And you know, you kind of, yeah, we can do that, and and then he kind of goes off and he thinks about it, and and so you know, based on what we had done, he had um, you know the shot in Infinity War where Thanos like you know ends up stabbing him, you know, that was kind of Robert's gag, which is pretty cool, and you know, it just kind of adds that extra little bit of drama to it, and then Brolin. You know, Brolin put up with, you know, everything we asked him to put up with, you know, because it was something that we wanted to put him on decks and we had to, we had a displacement suit where you could, if an actor had to touch him, you know, we built this kind of big foam, basically like it's almost like a football gear, you know, with a big foam Thanos head and, you know, he looks ridiculous. He looked literally like Grimace, you know, and he has like his little arms are sticking out from it because, you know, Thanos is eight feet tall and he's there on set and, you know, Robert's teasing him about wearing it and Brolin's just kind of staring him, you know, staring back at him like, you know, it just, nothing phases him in a way. And so, you know, and he, and he got really excited about working on it. So it was, it was really great, really. Relationship. And, you know, even to, I got to direct some of the additional photography and, and Tess Thompson and, and uh, Lizzie Olson. They're all just really into the characters. It's really cool. What was one of the more emotional scenes for you to create? Well, I mean, growing up and loving comic books, you, know, you get this opportunity to kind of play with all your favorite characters. You know, they're real human beings <laughs> to a point, but you get to get a chance to kind of design all these really amazing moments. And there's the emotion the film itself, but then there's kind of what you can create and what you can do to bring to that from a visual effects standpoint. And that's what's great about the Rooster Brothers is you always say the best idea wins. So you're not just designing effects, you're designing a sequence, you're designing feelings. You know, you talk about what this character's feeling here. And, you know, there's things that we always had to do. We always had to do. Wanda had to confront Thanos, right? After what he did to Vision, Wanda is going to come back and she's going to go after him. And so that was probably one of the first sequences that we did that everybody really liked that, you know, she just comes in and just dismantles Thanos and almost just finishes him off. But then you get into kind of those other comic book moments where you just watch like Iron Man 2 and Nick Fury shows up and it's like, oh, that's what they're doing. And you kind of see where they're going to go for this whole thing. And so when you see Ultron and Cap almost picks up the hammer and you're kind of like, Okay, and then so when you go into this movie and you get a chance when the Rooster Brothers took over the Avengers films and I was lucky enough they brought me along, it's like, okay, at some point Cap's going to pick up that hammer <laughs> and, and that's going to be one of the biggest, you know, scenes for me just emotionally because it's, it's something I love and then two, it's something you want to share with the fans. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did mm-hmm. you get into visual effects? Uh, well, it's something I always wanted to do. I think it was something that, um, you know, from a pretty early age, you know, I think, And you're from Los Angeles. From Los Angeles, from L.A., growing up in L.A., in Hollywood, but really no ties to anyone in Hollywood. Uh, It was something that, you know, seeing Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark as a kid, you know, it's something I think inspired a a generation of us for for different aspects of the business. And it was something that, you know, visual effects were always a kind of magic in a way. And, you know, in a way to tell stories in an interesting way and allowing you to tell stories in ways you haven't done before. You know, it was something that we, Winter Soldier, I met Stan Lee for the first time 
and you know, I got inter- you know, the producer introduced me and so Dan, you know, visual effects supervisor, and and Stan turns to me and says, "Oh, you're the guys, you're the ones that make all this possible," and it's like this is like amazing because it's like Stan Lee, but it's it's something that you know the, the tools got to the point where you could tell the superhero stories where they just weren't you know people in bad costumes with you know powers that weren't really super. Anyway, so you know I, I kind of grew up, you know I saw those movies and something I want to do. It's the uh, you know, like every summer I'd build a little miniature and blow it up on the 4th of July, you know, just trying to pretend like I'm in the movie business, setting the backyard on fire a little bit. But, you know, at that point it was hard to get information. You know, there's like one book. There's like the technique of special effects cinematography. And it was like the, it was the one book that really kind of explained everything all the way back to like Pepper's Ghost, you know, like with the mirror gag oh, to make, wow. make it look like ghosts and how they shot mirrors for like, you know, trains coming at, instead of crashing into the camera, they shoot into a mirror, all the way up to blue screen. And so that was my way of learning it and then it was this kind of you know those weird kind of dumb luck situations where I was with a, I was at college and I looked computer graphics at that point right because it was just you know you were it's like Jurassic Park had just come out and so you know it was all just pretty early days so I was sitting in the sitting outside of class trying to add it and so I was like you know everybody's like so what do you want to do it's like, I want to do visual effects and then a buddy, buddy of mine, Howard Gersh, was sitting behind me, and he says, "I want to do visual effects too." You know, and it was just, it was, it was just kind of this random thing where we met, and then there was a an internship out in Simi Valley, which where Howard grew up, at a place called DreamQuest Images, that had worked on the Abyss and yes. you know, a lot of things back right. in the day. And so Howard told me about the internship at DreamQuest, and that's how I originally got into the business, and just kind of you know kind of ran from there. Wow. Now, when you look back on this project. It must have been hard when it ended because you were working so closely with this team for so many years. Did you? What have you talked about with the visual effects team since the wrap? Uh, well, this one—it's—it's it's always interesting how these movies end because you know they, they become, you know, they become a central point of your life. You know, and, and, and you know, and you see your your crew more than you see your family. You know, because you're working seven days a week and eighteen hours a day. So you do build a relationship, and it's and it's something that you know, in a way, it, it is somewhat like university ending and things like that. You know, where where it just kind of winds down and you're, you know, kind of everybody goes their separate, you know, separate directions. And, you know, in a way it's sad. We had a, uh, one of our guys put together, we're taking uh, photographs, you know, like little Instamatic photographs, you know, or like Polaroids throughout the show. And they, they, they scanned them all in and sent a, made a book, you know, like all the pictures throughout the show. So then we laid them all out. We're signing them like yearbooks, you know, it's like, you know, keep, keep in touch. See you next fall kind of thing. So yeah, it was a way to remember everybody, like remember everyone. But it's, it's interesting because you're, you know, because you, you kind of come to this to kind of this peak thing where you're, everybody's working really hard and then, and then everybody's on board and you have reviews with the, with the directors in the studio every day. And then it just kind of, it just ends. It just stops because everybody, everybody goes on the press tours, you know, Marvel's onto the next one. And then you find yourself, you're, you know, because when effects are done, then you go into all the QCs, you know, because you're still, you know, maybe got a week left of the DI. And then you're kind of going in and finishing that up. And it's, so the group that was really big gets smaller and then gets smaller again. So you're, it's myself and the picture editor and you know, kind of like our, our big send off for everybody was that we had to on a Saturday we had to go QC the film but when you do it you QC the 5.1 and the 7.1 and the Atmos and so there was like four versions of the film and so the whole crew came over and just watched the film in all these different rooms to you know QC it and then also to just kind of have a big send you know kind of final send off of everybody seeing the picture before it came out in theaters. 
you mentioned the different versions for sound, but then you also had the high dynamic range versions. Yeah, so how, how many versions were there? <laughs> I think you, you lose count eventually. It's, it's kind of like everybody's like, yay, we're done. And it's like, mm, no, nope, not yet. Because <laughs> you're, uh, yeah, you're doing, you've got the 14-foot the Lambert version. Kind of the, you know, it's the, the names are sliding all over the place now in terms of what, what's what. But you know, the, kind of the, the, the SDR, the 14-foot Lamberts, the 48 nits-ish version that everyone's going to see that's going to go around the world. That finishes first with all the different sound, and then you'll go in and do the EDR slash Dolby Vision. So it's like we're we're kind of breaking it down. So we're we're kind of calling it HDR now, and so and you master and we kind of master different brightnesses. So you'll master it at you know 100 nits ish for like the HDR version, and you know you, because and then there's like the unconstrained version where you go up to 300. I mean, it's like we're I think we're the whole HDR process we're trying to kind of master and understand it you know because you're not you're not really shooting your film at hdr right now we talked about your how you worked with the other visual effects houses but what was your relationship like during the production with you know the cinematographer the production designer and some of the other department heads Working during the show is an interesting thing where we've, you know, most of us have been together since Winter Soldier, so the same shorthand is happening with everyone on set. So you kind of already know how Trent Opelok, our DP, you know how he's going to light, and you kind of plan for that. We, Charlie Wood was our production designer on Infinity War and Endgame, and he's truly is the mad genius. Beyond just the sets, he's all about atmospherics and the feel of the set and the sweat of the set and the heat of the set and the cold of the set and the dryness of the set. It's not just his sets and even his interiors aren't just something you build. It's something that's alive in a way. And it's like what we could do to augment that and kind of keep it going in terms of, you know, like end game with the fires and the smoke and the embers and the ash. And he'll get special effects involved and they'll kind of drop the same ash. So we're, all, we're all just complimenting each other. Dan Sudik and special effects. We've worked with Dan for years, and it's just trying to, you know, figuring out what's best to do as a visual effect versus special effects, and always looking for an opportunity to blow something up because those are the best days when, you know, hey, we're blowing up something on uh, second unit. So then everybody goes to the second unit on the day that blows everybody up, and Dan's like, all right, everybody go back, everybody get further away. What's um, an example of one of the big special effects? And this one, the time van. You know, we ended up using a lot of it for reference, but the van that has the time machine in it when uh, Luis's van, when Thanos throws his sword into the back of it, I was interested in trying to find something that was different, right? Just like a regular fireball explosion. And Dan, I, you know, again, you don't know what chemicals they mix together. You, you don't generally probably don't want to know, but he had this really great flame that was like this rainbow color flame that we kind of incorporated into what we did for some of the CG but we had a day where when Thanos starts firing all his missiles at the event when Scarlet Witch has got him and she's going to finish off Thanos and he's like rain fire. And so we did a lot of mortar blast that day. So it was kind of a fun day because it's like, you know, you're, I'm out there and so you grab Dan. It was kind of like, where do you start first? And so we, can, we got stunts out there. So I'm walking with stunts and it's like, okay, you know, the idea is that Thanos is strafing and everybody's running for their lives. And so the stunties are running and you kind of get a path, general path where they're going to go. And then, okay, Dan will come over. This is where we're going to run people. And Dan's like, okay, where's the camera? And because he has this, you know, all the years of experience, you know, he knows how to stage his blast a camera. And it's like, well, the camera's over here and the camera's like over here. And he's like, okay, so I put one there, I should put one there, I put one here. So you get out like, and whenever you type special effects, it's less about where they are and more like the sound effects you make as they go. So he said, do you want to, do you want to boom, 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 boom? Or do you want to 
boom, 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 boom. And so you just kind of like you're standing around going, no, I want to boom, 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 you know, as it goes off. And it's a ridiculous conversation, but it works out in the end. And then the stunties came back out and, you know, it's like, okay, this is where the explosions are. And we had like a spider cam out there that day as it was flying over the top. And, you know, he's like, hit it off. And, you know, and again, that was another day where everybody wanted to come over. And, you know, so we covered everybody in dust and, and they still came back and we did it again, which was good. So that was fun. So what's next for you? Right now, I'm taking a little bit of a break. I was going to describe it. I was talking to Kevin one day, and it's like, you know, this is like climbing Everest. You know, you kind of get to the top, and you're kind of like, well, what do you do next? And it's like right now, it's like I'm going to take a break and look at the next big thing. It's kind of an interesting combination where it's like, you know, you you look for the special project. A lot of times the special projects aren't necessarily that big effects-wise, you know, and then sometimes effects films are exactly what they are. They're effects films. And with the Marvel films, and especially what we've done over the last couple, they're both, right? You know, they're special and they're intimate and along with scope and scale. And you get the opportunity to do like those big explosion days, but then you also get these really amazing performances with Josh Brolin and Mark Ruffalo and you're able to realize them through CG characters that you create and so it's been this really amazing experience where with like the Russos you know they always say you know the best idea wins they just let me run in a way that I've never been able to run before and just in terms of designing all the sequences and signing the battles so I think what I'm looking for next is you know kind of going to the next level kind of try to get something from my own and kind of proceed from there. The premiere was a few weeks ago. What did it feel like to see it with the casting crew and with that audience? It's it's interesting. We started, we came, I started on Iron Man 3. I did second unit on Iron Man 3. And while we're shooting Winter Soldier, they're like, come to the premiere. And it's like, oh, we just, you know, it's like we're we're shooting. It's like, no, you've worked on Iron Man 3. You have to come to the premiere. And so it was big. You know, as big as premiere goes back then. And then... By Iron Man 3, the Marvel Universe was established, and the Winter Soldier came out, and it got bigger, and you're kind of like, okay, the Winter Soldier comes out, but it was still, you know, it's just, it's the best way to describe it. It's like we all know each other. Again, it's, it goes, you know, school's always a really good analogy here, right? Because it's like you went to high school, and it's all the people you got in high school with, and you're standing on the red carpet, and it's like, hey, how you doing? Oh, good. How you doing? You know, working on this. And then with each film, the whole process and the whole universe got bigger and bigger so that you know by the time you got to infinity war they shut down the entire block and you're like trying to get and you have to walk you know two blocks away just to get to the other side where the tickets are and then uh when you get to end game it's just you know and you're, and you're kind of getting a sense of it it's like because you're, you're just so tunnel vision on everything and you're just making a movie at the end of the day it's like all we're doing is making a movie and it's like all the other stuff it's out there you know you're a fan of this you know you do Cap getting Molière and Thanos, you're, I'm full-on fanboy at that point, right? Putting that thing together. But you're just making a movie, and you screen it, and it does well in the screening. So you kind of have a sense of it. But then you go to the premiere, and you just finish like four days earlier, right? The last QC, you know, it's like everybody's like, you've been done? Do you get any time off? It's like, we have been we finished four days ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? Everybody's like, oh. And then you see this giant premiere, and you see everybody there, and you see the fans out in front, and, and you see like every actor ever from the Marvel Cinematic Universe there. And it's just this amazing, amazing thing. And then even within, you know, with that audience that have kind of been with it, and a lot of them know what happens in the movie, they're just kind of, everything works. You know, it's one of those movies where, like, everything works from a, as the story you're telling. Because, you know, there's ideas everybody has and whether or not it's going to light the audience up or not. And it suddenly starts working, and it's like, this is great. And then, and then you go into the opening weekend, and you're kind of like, you start hearing about oh, the tickets sold out, and you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, Infinity War sold out a lot of tickets, Marvel, Captain Marvel sold out a lot of tickets, and then it's like, oh, and then it starts breaking records. And you're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you get into the Wednesday night and the Thursday night, and in the periphery, they're talking about, you know, what 
kind of business it could do. And the money component of it is it's one thing, but you know, I always translate it into, that just means how many people went to go see the movie. And then you start seeing like how excited people are for the film. And then you get to Monday morning and you're just like, you know, just the sheer amount of people that went to go see that film over the weekend. And like, you know, and you kind of go to the screenings over the weekends to kind of see what the real audience, right? See what the civilians. <laughs> and then they're just kind of like going nuts on it. And you just have more fun watching the audience, you know, reacting to it. And so you're just kind of leaning back and you're looking around and it's like, okay, people are crying now. And then it's like, you're kind of in your head, you're like, oh no, people are crying. It's going to, it's going to be okay. Cause there's going to be a joke right here. And then this is going to happen. And, and then they're going to like, okay, here's Tony. And it's like, oh, they're going to lose it. This is going to be great. And it's like, well, they're going to be sad. And then they're going to get to the Avengers, the Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're going to be happy again. So it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of watch it all. And I think that's probably the best part of the process. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. It's really cool. It's always great to talk about the movies. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.